if we can purposely design more environments where play is intrinsic to that environment, especially as we're thinking about social change and innovation and disruption of the status quo and completely upending these deep-rooted systems that perpetuate these problems in the first place, we have to we have to get a little weird. We have to get a little playful. We have to get outside of of the traditional ways of interacting and the traditional incentive structures that undergird those ways of interacting. You're listening to The Playful Podcast with Christine Mitchie. This week, we welcome special guest Topher Wilkins. I want to take just a couple minutes and uh, and let you know about the conversation that uh, you're about to hear with Topher Wilkins, who is the CEO of Opportunity Collaboration. Wow, I just we just finished the the conversation, the recording, and um, I am so excited for you to to settle in and listen to it. Um, among other things, uh, I think quote of the day is uh, he said we're going to have to get a little weird if we're going to solve some of these big problems. And uh, we were talking about you know innovation and creative thinking that comes from play, and especially comes from play done in groups. And trust is built in new ways that allow us to problem solve in bigger and better ways. Stay through and listen to the end because he talks about Lunar University, something else he's involved in, which is a conceptualization of what might we do first if we were ever to kind of live and work on the planet moon. So uh, that another intriguing thought. So anyways, um, enjoy this conversation with Topher. I know you will. Thanks for listening. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Playful Podcast. Today, our guest is Topher Wilkins, who is the CEO of Opportunity Collaboration. And I'm going to have him tell you about himself and tell you about that. Hello, Topher. Glad you're here. Thanks, Christine. Good to see you. Awesome. I'm going to start with something unrelated to all your professional accomplishments and pursuits and just ask you this. Who's the most playful person you know? (laughs) The most playful person I know. Wow. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm raising three teenage boys right now. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be hard to pick one of, one of them, uh, single out one of the three, but, uh, but play has always just been such a, such a core part of my parent. And I'm proud to say it reflects very clearly through each of my three boys. In fact, uh, one of them, he and I were playing some pinball yesterday. Another one and I were playing some Wii tennis yesterday. Uh, there was some cooking in the kitchen together with a third. So uh, I don't know what, maybe oh, all three of my it. sons is probably the best way to answer that question right now. No, I love it. I've done, uh, I've started, you know, if, if Googling counts as researching, I've been saying this on the, on the pod that um, I've been doing some research about, about play and um, there's these different play personalities. And I suspect between the three of them and you, the four of you, maybe you come up with all the personalities are kind of represented uh, by, by the different folks and the way, the way they play. Oh my gosh. What are those personalities? I'm curious. Oh, I want to memorize them, but you know, some <laughs> are like, you know, some have to do with kind of intellectual play and mm. curiosity and that others have to do with physical rough and tumble, you know, play. Um, <laughs> another one is sort of like this twinkle in the eye, practical joker kind of play. So mm-hmm. it's interesting. I think there's nine different types. And so listen, folks on the next uh, pod, I will do my homework and I'll have those for us. Um, it's, and I'll, and I'll segue into, you know, some of the play research that um, I've been looking at um, really started around um, in the sixties, Dr. Stuart Brown was um, commissioned to do some research after what was then a very rare thing, which was sorry to bring us down for a moment, but a mass murder on or a, a big mass shooting on a college campus in Texas in the sixties, which you know 
again, sad to say, was very uncommon. And um, and interestingly and wonderfully, because it was so uncommon, caused a lot of pause and reflection. And so a commission was established to like, what happened, right? And what could we do about it? So Dr. Brown did research and found that play deprivation in the perpetrator of that. And then he went into different um, prisons and did play profiles of people who had been um, convicted of, of of serious violent crime and wow. found this theme throughout of play deprivation as young people and through their life. Wow. Wow. And and pardon to what I've missed in that, but that's sort of a summary of that. And there's and we'll put that up on the website, things that people can look up um, to get more about that. But I'm wondering, Topher, see if I can make this leap or connection. Opportunity collaboration, which is what you're the CEO, of and I love you to tell us about and I'm a proud sort of member and fan of but you created I'm just going to give a quick little tease you created a conference I'm going to call it where play is integral and I wonder if depriva- deprivation of play in adult convenings so I'm going with this play deficit idea possibly without you knowing like it, it was some was kind of on your mind when you created uh, opportunity collaboration so I'm gonna I'm gonna leave all that there for you mm. to comment mm. on, and if you would tell tell everybody what opportunity collaboration is as as you as you answer. Thanks, Christine. Yeah, of course. And I and I can't help but uh, revert back mm-hmm. to the mischievous personality of play. So again, uh, as an example for one of my kiddos, my oldest son is a profoundly good put pocketer. Oh, what does that mean? Okay. Everyone knows what a pick pocketer is right if you get pickpocketed you get something removed from your pockets but a put pocketer puts something in your pocket oh without you knowing it and it's one of his favorite activities to do and he every time he successfully puts something in my pocket he claps and i'm like oh you did it again and then i pull out some lego or some melted candy bar oh my god i love that have you coined, is this a, is this a term of art or one that you are coining here today on this podcast? You no, know, I think, I think it might be officially coined as of January, 2023. <laughs> Watch out folks. There's going to me- be some memes to follow. I suspect. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Maybe some ice cream bars where you don't expect them. And so o- OC, Christine, back to OC. Uh, and it's a really interesting question around uh, play deprivation as potentially a motivation for integrating play into OC. I think, I think it speaks to the larger uh, impetus for creating this unconference approach in the first place, which is, frankly, a lot of traditional conferences are really boring. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so we all have been there before uh, in our professional roles. We show up, you get your name tag, uh, you get your, you know, your little swag bag, uh, and then you sheepishly walk into the big auditorium sit in a chair next to a stranger hardly talk to them and then the lights go up in the big stage and the bright lights and the plenaries and the speakers and etc and inevitably uh even the time between those otherwise you know boring top-down sessions uh there's not a lot mm-hmm. of play it's the coffee break we're all still wearing the business suits we've all got the second business cards yeah. at the ready um it's very buttoned up it's very stodgy uh the unconference appro- approach that oc has become notorious for is in contrast to that otherwise relatively boring, ineffective way of getting together. And of course, that means integrating a lot of play into the, into the way that we gather. Um, and to put a finer point on that, uh, for the listeners who may be wondering what the heck this unconference is, um, 
a big portion of the of the approach is to take over an all-inclusive resort uh, for three or four days. So we have an entire all-inclusive venue to ourselves, and that is typically uh, on the beach somewhere in a very warm climate. There's basketball, there's tennis, there's trapeze, there's pickleball, there's light night dancing at the open bar, there's bocce ball, there's mini golf, <laughs> there's spa treatments, et cetera, et cetera. And, and our delegates, as we call them, the attendees of the, of the unconference are expected, in fact, encouraged to take a lot of advantage of those types of, uh, those types of offerings. Um, to the point where in the glorious return of our post-pandemic event uh, a few months ago, we actually ensured that play was a big portion of the gathering in a way that we've never really harnessed in years past. So this was this is something that we deeply integrated into OC and and we'll continue to do so now that we're coming back in person again. Love it. And folks, opportunity collaboration, which is the the OC is the acronym for that and 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 the way it's referred to by those um who get into the group and and um and that's what Topher's been referencing is I'm going to call it, what I've said, Topher, is it's a poverty alleviation conference, international. Um, it's not only that, but if I had to pick a strong through line about the people who come, who are change makers, movement builders around the world, poverty alleviation and, and justice and equity are, are, are the themes. And everybody there is a practitioner of that, a visionary in that to some degree. And I, I attended for the first time um, the one that that we were just speaking of Topher, which was the first post COVID or whatever you call this time we're in, but after a break, a COVID break, back on, and it was really playful. And I was thinking it was as much what are you not going to as what are you going to when you would bump mm. into people in the hallways or there weren't even hallways because everything was outside, so the, the <laughs> passageways. Um, you push the palm frond aside and get your <laughs> feet in the sand, and then someone say, "What are you not going to today?" And there was as mm. much pride and and um encouragement of that as there was taking advantage of the amazing offerings that were there and that felt also true because tofer you and the other leaders of the effort modeled that right because we know with everything from a vacation day to taking an actual kind of coffee break so to speak Unless the leaders are modeling it, you can say all you want that we value life balance. But if the boss never takes a sick day um, or doesn't stay home when a kid is sick or doesn't go on vacation, it you feel pretty vulnerable taking them up on what's printed in the manual. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Well, as a as a really good example of that and a clear through line here, we bring our we bring our kiddos to the gathering every year. Um, so in fact, there's usually about thirty or forty. Uh, children of the adults who are attending the gathering also attending the gathering, uh, and and enab that enables a whole new dynamic for the parents because a lot of the times we have to sort of separate our parenthood from our professionalism. Yeah. Uh, and the in the uh, example of OC and the way that we bring folks together, it's fully integrated. In fact, there there's a case study after case study of families coming and the adults saying, you know, Trevor, I was always nervous about bringing the kids going into this because I was I was thinking I'd have to like pay attention to the kids for one minute and then have trying to have a professional yeah like code switch right yeah exactly and yeah. put those different hats on but but because the kids are actually so much part of the gathering the parents have said time and time again that it's because kids met some other kids of another family and then lo and behold the parents of those other kids are exactly the types of collaborators and partners that those other parents should be talking to Love so it. there's just a there's just an incredible 
uh, sort of blurring of the lines in the context mm. of this gathering that allows us to frankly remember why we're doing this work in the first place yeah. because of this next generation. Well, and so tell me about, because in addition to not being boring, right, which was a kind of a, a central goal, um, why do the kinds of people, these change makers that attend Opportunity Collaboration OC, why do they need play? How do you think it enhances what they are, you know, I was going to say going back to do, but they don't, it never stops. Being at the conference, being at OC is as much the work as being back in their home country or city. But tell me why you think specifically change makers and movement builders um, need a break like this. And I'll just add one other thing. What also I saw happen over the course of the days is the sense at the beginning for anybody that this was a bit decadent and maybe a little, I might get busted if anybody finds out that I'm taking a break from working on, you know, clean water in Sudan to like, now I'm at a resort. And tell me about that. I saw it happen, but I wonder how you kind of program or curate around that. Yeah. Great question, Christine. Yeah. I mean, it's, um, it's can be a tough pill to swallow for some folks. Uh, who have been working so hard around these issues of social justice, social impact, solutions to poverty, to come to an all-inclusive resort to talk about those issues. Yeah. Uh, and we've we've been we've been dancing that delicate line for a uh, decade plus now. Um, a lot of it comes down to the fact that yes, these folks need a break, right? Everyone needs a chance to sort of unwind, decompress, take a breath, and and drop into a new way of interacting. Uh, that is not, you know, exhaustive at any given opportunity. Uh, but another part of this, Christine, is the fact that uh, this approach, this and this venue in particular, is incredibly conducive to what sits at the core of opportunity collaboration, the reason why folks decide to attend in the first place and see value from it year over year, which is we need to form a foundation of trust and empathy, mm-hmm. mutual respect. And, and true human connectivity before we're able to work together effectively. In other words, the, the meaningful human relationship that can be formed when you're put in a position of everything being taken care of, of you know every meal being a buffet, no one has to worry about paying for anything. Yeah. Like I said, people can bring their kids, there's play involved. All that is in service of making sure that these leaders have that opportunity to really connect with each other in a way that is entirely unique yeah. in a lot of professional networking settings. Yeah. And what we found is that when we can build that foundation of trust and empathy with each other based on all these elements coming together, then we can build so much more effective long-lasting partnerships and collaborations. Yeah. Then we can actually achieve the work more readily than if we had if we had shown up exhausted and left even more exhausted than when yeah. we came. Yeah. I love it. I had that experience for sure. Um, do you think, I noticed that you studied anthropology, um, <laughs> in college and, um, I thought, Ooh, I think that, I think that's connected. Um, do you think that the international can, I'm going to, let me try an idea, a theory here. Mm-hmm. So if play is a human biological necessity, we were built to play and we were built for play. Um, that's what the research seems to show. And the play researchers working on human play started looking and like Jane Goodall and National Geographic got involved and they started merging the animal mammal play, not even just mammals, but the animal play world. And they got research input from that. If play is human through line and we have, I know at least OC in in the last session, 60 countries represented, 
Are you banking on that through line to carry us past any cultural, geographical, or class or race differences? Mm, uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, Christine. No, it's a, it's a really, um, really profound point. And I don't think I've ever really thought about it that explicitly up until now. <laughs> Thank you. Um, absolutely. Yeah. No, absolutely. Look, I, you know, a, a part of, part of the approach of, of OC is making sure that we all see our core humanity, right? So, so there are elements of the agenda, as we talked about the design, even of hosting the sound closer resort is part of that, but there's no better way to realize that we're all cut from the same cloth, so to speak, than mm -hmm. when we can, hang out at the pool and have that really like shared experience of splashing in the water together or walking yeah, down the beach yeah. and dipping our toes in the, in the waves trickling in. So you're absolutely right. That is that's a profound part of it. And I don't know if I ever thought about it like that. So they <laughs> well, there you go. I think you did. Maybe you just didn't articulate it in your own yeah, mind that way, but I think go. that is what you counted on and created. Um, and I got to say, when you, you use the phrase of, of cut from the same cloth, actually, cloth and and um and textiles were a part of one of the experiences i had that were really playful at oc mm. um a wonderful woman Ange from burundi which yeah. i had to look up on the map to find where that was on the continent of africa had brought a trunk she, so she has a um, company that produces um traditional gorgeous um dresses um women in burundi that are in her company she was in she worked in the fashion houses in london and in paris and then went back to burundi she brought a trunk of dresses to the conference. Mm -hmm. And so all of a sudden, like over the first day or so, all of a sudden I'm starting to notice like a lot of women are in these really gorgeous, colorful uh, outfits that they didn't seem like they got while they were there. And I didn't know if they were from the gift shop or what. Well, it turns out Anj had continued to open up her trunk in her, um, in her, in her hotel room, so to speak, and um, invite people in. So I ended up, and I kind of missed the official, because uh, you guys had a time where folks were able to do kind of like a, a, a market bazaar where everybody could bring their things out. I missed that, but I wanted a dress. So, I mean, even this, like, you know, kind of how dare I, one part of my head, how dare I be like shopping when I'm supposed to be working, right? And and yet, on with a twinkle in her eye, she's like, come, come to my room. Mm -hmm. And, you know, she started pulling out these, this, this explosion of color. And, um, you know, and then I'm like tucking in behind and going in her closet and I'm changing and, you know, I don't <laughs> even know her, right? And so we, everything about the time that we already had together made that safe, fun, playful, connecting. And, you know, we're in touch. She's now dressing the first lady of Burundi. She's now her Amazing. couture, whatever that's called when you when you do that. Sure. And I have one of the dresses too, right? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, you're absolutely right, Christina. You know, so um, we, we do organize what we call an ethical marketplace mm -hmm. every year at OC where, where these incredible social entrepreneurs who specifically work in the fashion industry can highlight their wares. Uh, and inevitably that, you know, there's a, there's a lot of reason to do that in terms of helping those social entrepreneurs feel like their products are meaningful and valuable and that folks are, are honoring their, their path. But of course you're right. I mean, it, you know, anything that we can do to create that sense of like shared experience mm -hmm. is really core to the OC approach. And when folks wear the same clothes, that's another way mm -hmm. to ensure that we're, we're on that same playing field that we're, that were literally cut from the same cloth. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was great. It was great. So I'm going to ask you now. We're going to take our break for the what's the scoop. 
Okay, great. Part of the episode. So I'm going to have Topher's going to go to his freezer and I'm going to reach down to my cooler and we're going to get our ice cream. I'm going to stay on. Okay. So folks, you may uh, recall if you've heard previous episodes that Cool House is our ice cream partner and they are a women-owned and founded ice cream brand based in Los Angeles. And their story is a beautiful origin story as well about impact and um, and just kind of g- scrappy ingenuity. And um, they they actually towed a broken postal truck that they had turned into an ice cream shop to Coachella, the big music festival out in you know the desert of Palm Springs, um, and uh, and started the company um, about a decade ago. And so Cool House has provided this ice cream and what we've done is they um i send the guests a menu that they that cool house has of pints available and uh, they pick one out and then we both eat it now at a certain point i will have eaten them all but i haven't yet so i'm trying another new one for the first time today that um tofer selected which is street cart churro dough so here it is and I don't know how you go about eating ice cream. And now I got to tell you, folks, these um, these podcasts are recorded at different times of day, different time zones. This is pretty early for ice cream. I mean, I guess by somebody's standard. But, you know, like they say about five o'clock somewhere, <laughs> it's ice cream time somewhere, right? Ice cream 30. Ice cream 30. <laughs> All right. So I'm going to let you take the first bite and give right. us your impression. All right. Brown butter ice cream, cinnamon sugar dough, and chocolate flakes swirl. Oof. Okay. Right? I know. This is the first, so to your point, Christine, this is the first bite of solid food I'm having today. This is right. <laughs> you are off to a great start. Okay, here we go. Okay. Wow. Mm. Yum. Oh, whoa. Did you get, oh, I got a little bit of that sugar dough. Mm. Mm-hmm. Wow. Like a little, that like cinnamon sugar kind of crunching in the back of your molars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> right where it counts. <laughs> oh, my God. So we actually, uh, we, we now host opportunity collaboration in the Dominican Republic, but for the first mm. 12 years of the, of the in-person gathering, we would host it in Mexico, different parts of Mexico. Mm. And I can, I, I can still taste the churros that would be available for dessert. Oh, I love that it. were like handmade by the like Mexican abuela in the kitchen. And then. Smothering that with Nutella, of course, but that's a whole nother mm-hmm. <laughs> cross-cultural experience. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So the other part, ice cream is clearly this section, like really important here. But in addition to the ice cream, the kind of play on words with what's the scoop is, is Topher is to ask you, like I've asked guests at this point, what's the scoop on how you came to care? Mm-hmm. Do you remember a moment, a person, an influence where you kind of, to whatever degree, sort of looked up and like, I care about the world. I care about making a difference. I see a role and responsibility. Do you, what comes to mind when you think about that? Yeah. Um, so this this is a little bit of a story. Um, so I was born in Middlebury, Vermont. Grew up in Hanover, New Hampshire. These are like small New England college towns. Uh, and my parents were professors. They just love this like environment. It's very safe, collegial, uh, very sort of Norman Rockwellian, uh, very traditional, very quaint, right? With all the expectations of going to a private liberal arts school as a young man in this environment, I ended up going to uh, as far away as I could get as opposed to going to another small New England college, <laughs> which was um, 
Pomona College, in, uh, part of the Claremont mm-hmm. School in Southern California. Mm-hmm. And I was like, all right, this is it. 3,000 miles away, completely new world, new people did it. But it turns out, um, for anyone who knows those uh, that cluster of schools, it's kind of like the West Coast version of a small New England college town. <laughs> great college, great school, will forever um, you know, sing Pomona's praises. And yet, it was still this relatively isolated bubble of existence. Um, so it wasn't until the fall semester, the first semester of my senior year, and I was about I was just about to turn 21, uh, that I participated in a semester abroad program. Uh, and this, this was the moment. So uh, we spent three and a half months on the east coast of Africa, uh, namely Kenya, but also Zanzibar Island off of Tanzania. Uh, and we were staying with Kenyan families. We were eating all the japati. We were speaking Swahili fluently by the end of these three and a half months. Um, it was an incredibly culturally immersive experience for me and and by far and away i can claim with utmost authority that this is the crucible Mm. moment for me um when it comes to oh here's 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 another (laughs) another world like this is like i've been so privileged my entire 21 years of life and and that's okay there's nothing wrong with that but it wasn't until you know i was sleeping on the mud floor of the thatched roof hut that Mm. i was like Oh, I get it. Like there's another, there's another way. There's another facet of humanity that I just has never been experienced. Um, yeah. And and frankly, I also discovered myself in a big way. Um, I realized that I was an experiential learner first and foremost. I stepped into a little bit of a leadership role with my the cohort of classmates that was on that trip with me. And frankly, Christine, this is the this is still a juxtaposition that I'm grappling with. I also discovered real happiness for the first time that I was mm. experiencing true poverty for the first time. Mm. Um, so all of that mixed together has provided that that moment that I can consistently look back on and say that's wow. that's why I decided to live a life of service that wasn't continuing me down this very like bubbleized version of reality. Uh, that instead I could I could have a a life that was far more uh, global and rooted in community. And yeah. in service. Yeah. Wow. Um, I'm uh, picturing the the moment um, in in a college student's life if they're and there's privilege and even in this in this idea or example, you know, where they're considering might they study abroad. Mm-hmm. That's a that's a privileged opportunity in and of itself. Mm-hmm. But I'm also I'm and I think when I was in college, we still had like paper brochures. I don't know if you were. This is all online, but we were like looking through a glossy brochure about pick a country kind of thing, yeah. right? Yeah. And even the fact that you chose what you chose seems to, there must have been, I mean, it may have been just your fate to that this path was starting when you had the inkling to turn past nothing wrong with going to Italy and nothing wrong with going to, you know, France, but, but to go somewhere even, you know, further away from Pomona to home, from home, Vermont to Pomona, then to the West coast of Africa. Uh, yeah. No, it's, um, I can't really remember why. Yeah, I, I, it was not like preordained. It was not some yeah. decision that took an enormous amount of thought. I, can, I think I remember simply feeling like I still, I still had that itch of experiencing something else, something different. Yeah, yeah. And that was yeah. about as different as I could find. 
I love it. Yeah. I, you know, and I think it's so neat, you know, to look and you get more of this as you get older to look back and, you know, the fork in the road moments that you don't know they are that That's right. Um, when you're when you're standing there. But you look back and you go, oh, that decision. Right. Everything after that was different. That's right. Totally. Yeah. Actually, I had a, I had a similar moment uh, at OC along those lines, Christine. So. The first opportunity collaboration in 2009, my wife and I actually attended as attendees or delegates. Um, we had met the, the, the founder of the first one about a month and a half before that first one was slated to, uh, to exist. Um, and we had a bizarre professional background that, that no one in their right mind would have been able to draw a commonality around. <laughs> uh, and yet here was opportunity collaboration and this uh, incredible convening that it did indeed sort of represent a, a, a culmination of our previous professional work. Um, and so we were intrigued and we were open to what was new and what was next on our professional horizons. Um, so we attended the first one as delegates and then we were working as the uh, co-COOs in the lead up to the second one in 2010. Uh, it just so happened that uh, our third son arrived about two weeks before the second OC in 2010, which meant my wife uh, was not coming with me to Mexico to host this gathering. And, and she and I worked together in a lot of different capacities and lead up to mm -hmm. taking on this role for opportunity collaboration. Quite bluntly, uh, it scared the bejesus out of me to think that I was the one responsible <laughs> for pulling this event together. That I didn't, I didn't have my trusted partner mm -hmm. and friend and ally and my wife by my side to, to help. Um, so, so a couple days into the 2010 version of OC, I had been running around like a chicken with its head cut off, sort of scrambling, making sure that, you know, everything was happening on time and everyone needed what they needed. And just this, you know, the agenda is going and this and the venue was okay and blah, blah, blah. And then I finally had a minute to um, take a break. And I, and I, I will never forget this. I took a couple steps into the uh, warm waters of the Pacific ocean. This is right, right around sunset, third day of OC. Um, you know, a couple deep inhales, couple couple relieving exhales, and I I had that moment where um, I, I don't know how to explain. It's like it's the conversation with God or the higher being. Yeah, you know, it's like yeah, that yeah. that immediate link of like, oh, yeah. this is this is this is one of those forks in the road. And yeah. and I left that I left I walked out of the of the water and it's like, oh, this is it. Like this is why I was born. Like this is the work that I'm doing with OC is my true calling in life. Like. This is why mom and dad got together. Oh. This, this is this is this is wow. the raison d'etre, so to speak. Oh. Um, so that was twelve years ago at this point, and yeah. um, I think that moment, combined with that moment in East Africa and that sort of that eye-opening experience, these are arguably the two most important uh, intersections in my in my professional career. Man, I love it, and isn't it isn't it something that at a moment where you stepped out of the fray yeah. and stepped in literally figuratively away and then into the ocean, yeah. which is the, 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 the non-conference thing to do. <laughs> Precisely. <right? laughs> and it was there that it all, you, you, it sounds like you're describing a sense, like everything is going to be okay. Yeah. I'm right. Exactly where I'm meant to be. Yeah. And behind you imagine the conference going on, right. Which you would turn back towards. Yeah. It, 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 
you were the man, you were the person to go back and, and, and do that. You were that was your, your path. That's so neat. Mm. Um, Hey, I wanted to ask you about um, working with Dorian because I know that that has recently switched. Correct. Um, I know at OC most recently um, it it was announced that she was going to move off the senior staff role. Someone else was going to come on. And I was wondering about the playfulness that you found in working together and then the playfulness you're now maybe finding not working together. Uh-huh. Great. Yeah. Uh, great question. So, so, um, Jorian and I have been together since I'm not going to date myself here. <laughs> 1995. Um, and during those years, um, we've, we've worked together, uh, almost exclusively up until 2020. So uh, in 2020, we had to furl ourselves from, mm-hmm. from OC's payroll. There's no revenue from registration fees for the big in-person event. Uh, and we've got these three you know, ever more hungry teenage boys under this roof that we have to feed and provide for. Uh, so it was, it was a race between the two of us to figure out who was going to bring in a stable income. Mm-hmm. Um, she won that race. She took on an incredible role as the managing director of the Downtown Association here in Santa Cruz, California. Uh, so she's working about 550 local business owners, building up their capacity, making sure there's a sense of community there, um, and that there's a thriving downtown business ecosystem. We live just a couple blocks from that downtown corridor. Uh, so she's she's in that role to to this day. Um, she did come back and help out with OC's return uh, post pandemic, if I can say that. But it was also clear that she, uh, that this new role uh, of her work in this local community of ours is really important for her. So. So in the realm of play, I mean, uh, we continue to, uh, you know, work under the same roof. <laughs> we continue yeah. to, uh, you know, take coffee breaks together and, and hang out. Uh, and of course, you know, our lives are deeply intertwined as we're raising our kiddos as well. Um, I will also add this, Christine, the, the new COO for Opportunity Collaboration, this incredible uh, woman, Jessica Lohman, uh, yeah. very much, very, it's very much aligned with the power of play. So at some point, um, you'll see her in in that uh, in that power in OC because she's like a, a capoeira master, for example. Oh, neat! Yeah, and uh, there's the rough and tumble play, right? Yeah, no, she. Uh, yeah, it's all physical about play. like physical play, uh, kinetic play for her. That tactile yeah. piece. Um, she's she's stepping into Jorian's shoes and and filling those uh, beyond beyond my wildest imagination. And, and that piece of play is very strong too. I love it. Yeah. All right. As we, as we wrap up, I'm going to, um, I've got two, um, folks to kind of reference or quote. And I, one is I'm going to read it. So I get it right. This was a, a Carl Jung quote. The creation of something new is not accomplished by the intellect, but by the play instinct. Hmm. Hmm. And I think if we're talking right, change makers, you know, some of these problems that we're working on are, feel like forever problems. Yeah, yeah. Forever previously and forever going forward, unless, until new solutions, new ideas, new creativity. So I think the, the OC vibe around play and, 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 and sparking that play instinct seems to be uh, endorsed here by Carl Jung. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's great. And then the, the second one, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, 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 please. And then the second one was, um, this is kind of more on the personal level. Um, I years ago heard, um, and I can't remember which one of her many talks and books um, from Brene Brown, but she talks about um, 
making sure you have at least one thing you do for no reason. And that's her phrasing. Mm. And for me, I read that to mean like, not because no one's looking, no one's counting, no one's measuring it. It's not, I'm not being productive. I'm not accomplishing something per se. Um, do you, and I, but, and I realized the first time I heard that I didn't have anything that, that I thought fell into that category. Mm. And so I added bird watching, which honestly <laughs> has become bird listening because at this point, I'm just kind of really trying to get good at like hearing bird song and being able to identify. And there's a really good app that helps with that. Yeah, cool. And I added poetry in. So in the morning, I did this during uh, the thick of the the pandemic. Um, and I didn't, and the news cycle being so difficult, um, definitely grabbing um, poetry in the morning versus um, news, mm, um, either that. reading it and or writing it. Love that. So I wonder if you've got anything um, that you do for no reason other than maybe just sort of right for your for yourself for serving yourself and your spirit. Um, I'll be I'll I'll answer that in a minute, but I want to come back to the previous quote too for a second here, Christine, because I think yeah. um, I think this brings up another point here, which is really important. So, uh, so you you recognize my background in anthropology. I, I also have a background in education, and. S- specifically a background in experiential education, right? So how do you, how do you create learning environments outside of the four walls of the classroom? Um, and what I've seen in the realm of, of my work with opportunity collaboration uh, is that opportunity collaboration, this unconferenced model is equivalent to some of those more innovative experiential learning models in the sense that an unconference approach is the antithesis to a standard conference environment where a standard conference environment is like top down. It's like, let's, let's treat the students as recipients of knowledge as opposed to generators of their own educational curiosity. Um, and the, and, 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 you know, in a, in a traditional classroom, clearly the parallel is there are a lot of, you know, a lot of traditional classrooms, the teachers up in front, everyone's sitting in a row of chairs, same with a standard conference. So, what I, what I would like to say here is that um, if we can purposely de- design more environments where play is intrinsic to that environment, especially as we're thinking about social change and innovation and disruption of the status quo and completely upending these deep-rooted systems that perpetuate these problems in the first place, we have to, we have to get a little weird. We have to get a little playful. <laughs> We have to get a little. There's the quote of the day. We have, have to, get, to get a little weird. We have to get outside of of the traditional ways of interacting and the traditional incentive structures that undergird those ways of interacting. Um, so, there's more to say along those lines in terms of what I feel is needed and and where we can really push those buttons. But that quote really sparked that. Uh, Love it. Thank you for surfacing that before we went on to bird watching or poetry, <laughs> yeah. which, which could, could be obviously related to that, but I love that you called that out specifically um, to, we got to get a little weird if we're going to solve these problems and figure out ways to work together um, to get past um, old models. That's it. That's it. We can't, we can't keep relying on the same ways of thinking that created the problems in the first place to solve right. these problems. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. So, uh, I love disc golf. Oh, fun! <laughs> Formerly called frisbee for those yeah, not familiar. Yeah, careful. Right? You might have uh, oh, disc golfers with that word. So it's something it, like a lot of a lot of folks have gotten into this game. It's something I picked up uh, right at the beginning of the pandemic. It was a good way to get outside. Uh, it was a good way to sort of disconnect from the reality and the bizarreness of of the pandemic and sheltering in place. Um, 
and frankly, it had a little bit of a like a goal orientation and competitiveness to it that I really appreciated. So uh, I'm proud to say that I'm uh, playing in my first tournament this weekend. Oh, my God. <laughs> I love it. But, uh, but it's been a very consistent practice over the last couple of years because every week or so, I'll just get out. I'll bring my bag of discs, and it takes about an hour and a half to get around the course. Um, and it's just a complete and utter escape. And it's just for me. It's just for me Love to be it. in nature and feel like I can, I can accomplish small manageable tasks. Are you getting that disc in that freaking basket? every? How <laughs> fun. Yeah. And there are no consequences yeah. either, either way. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Wow. You've already accomplished what you meant by getting out there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Oh, I love it. I love it. Yeah. All right. So Topher, I want to thank you. And I want to make sure I give you a chance to, um, what would you want to highlight and lift up, um, promote um, about OC, about people want to find out more? Where do they go? What do they do? How do you get involved yeah. um, or become supportive in any way? Thank you, Christine. Okay. So for anyone that's involved in the world of social impact and solutions of poverty, uh, OC is an incredibly vibrant community of nonprofit leaders and for-profit social entrepreneurs and grant makers of different ilks and impact investors and people from the corporate world and media and academia. And it's a global community. There's um, almost 3,000 people that have been through the annual event over the years. Um, a lot of those folks, as I said, form these deep lasting, hugely human relationships, and it becomes almost like a family. Uh, so for anyone who's intrigued by that notion and looking for that type of offering, uh, ocimpact.com is the website. Please go there. Uh, you can also ping me on LinkedIn. I'm a very active LinkedIn user. Um, Topher Wilkins. I don't think there are too many other Topher Wilkins on LinkedIn, so it shouldn't be too hard to find me. Um, and I I also have to offer this to Christina in the realm of uh, letting folks know what else I'm up to. So there's a new endeavor that I'm involved in called Lab to Land Institute. This is a mm. climate institute at the intersection of genomic technology and climate resilience for wild land. Uh, if anyone's interested in that arena, please feel free to reach out. Uh, and one other project that I'm deeply involved in these days, which is uh, has an element of play to it as well, uh, which is something called the Lunar University. And the whole idea here is in the next decade or two, we will become a multi-planetary species for the first time with a permanent human presence on the moon. And if we take this opportunity to actually uh, think deeply about what could be our best foot forward as we step off of this good old mother planet of ours for the first time. We have an opportunity to not only reinform what happens back here on Earth as we expand to the moon, but also set the precedent for future space exploration. So how do we make sure that the first human settlement is not a private prison camp or mining operation or some military base, but is instead an institution of higher learning and true, wow. true human cohesion? Uh, so for anyone who's interested in that conversation, I'm also, uh, very actively involved in stewarding an effort along those lines. So if we Google Lunar University, will we find something what, happening what there? You'll, what you'll, what you'll want to go to is something called the Lunark, L-U-N-A-R-C. Check out Lunark. It's, uh, it's the first mission is to, uh, gather artistic expressions from all over the globe, from all different types of humanity. To say what is what does it mean to be a multiplanetary species? Whoa! And we're collecting those artistic expressions on the Lunar Dow website. So please check that. Okay, out. and I'm going to also Google genomic regarding the climate yeah. from the Lab previous to Land Institute. Yeah, yeah. Okay, all kinds of good stuff. So thank you so much. Keep playing, so you can keep doing all that stuff you just told us you about, got it, Christine. And I'll eat ice cream all the way. 
Oh my God. I know it's <laughs> melting, but I'm going to, I'm going to finish it. So good. So good. <laughs> All right. See you. Thanks again. All right, Christine. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Playful Podcast with Christine Mitchie. You can find Christine on LinkedIn or learn more about her work with changemakers worldwide at impactfulinc.com. That's impactful with two L's, I-N-C.com. And you can find all episodes of the Playful Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite podcast content. See you next time.